0: Welcome to your active tech brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a global perspective on data protection. For an overview on all technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website youractive.com. This is your active tech brief podcast. Today I'm joined by Gabriella Zanfir-Fortuna, Vice President for Global Privacy at the Future of Privacy Forum, and Rafi Azim Khan, Head of Data Privacy at Pillsbury Law. Hello both. Hello. Hi there. Great having you here. So, Uh, Rafi, let's start with you. Um, The idea is really to give a global perspective on on data protection and the trends that we are seeing. And I think the starting point would be um, the EU's immediate neighbor, the UK. Um, There has been discussion... There have been discussions about a new data protection regime in the UK for quite some time, and now we are seeing a bill finally moving ahead in Parliament. So what are the key features of this legislative proposal?
1: It's a very interesting time to have this conversation because I think we're genuinely at a kind of crossroads of um, some countries wanting to take uh, more of a unilateral approach to data laws. And in their eyes, uh, freeing up some of the red tape or regulation. Um, But that comes at a potential cost, um, as more and more businesses are multinational, international, and the web is obviously global in reach. Um, And there is this desire to have more uniformity and uh, international consistency. Um, And what's very interesting is that the UK has been looking to make some changes to um, uh, the GDPR and effectively the data protection act that we have in the UK, um, which um, post Brexit effectively transposed over pretty much a mirror image um, of the EU GDPR. So one of the really tricky aspects of this is to see how one can juggle these two potentially competing interests. Um, I thought it was very, very interesting. Um, We uh, were asked to contribute uh, to some consultation discussions, and I actually attended a number of meetings myself with a number of the government team uh, that were working on some of these proposals, um, including uh, some of the visiting uh, delegation uh, from uh, the US Department of Commerce and uh, um, other US government uh, uh, um, teams who were looking at both what changes might come about Um, vis-a-vis a a rebooting of Privacy Shield, for example, which of course was shot down post-REMS 2, and which we've now seen with the Biden executive order coming along and um, promoting the new framework, the the, the DPF. Um, And at the same time, the UK government, through its Secretary of State, um, making announcements that they've been listening to complaints from UK businesses, um, uh, in some cases wanting to get their red tape requirements as they saw it, more aligned with with, uh, an approach that would be uh, something that the US would like, but might be one or two steps removed from what the EU would like. And so you had this juggling of different competing interests, which culminated in this uh, DPDI-2 as it's uh, known. So um, uh, the new reboot of the legislation, uh, looking at the uh, uh, data protection uh, laws. And we've ended up with a, a very interesting sort of shopping list of things which are being promised that will be changed, um, which is now in the draft and going through Parliament. Um, and in a nutshell, if you actually look at what the UK Secretary of State, Michelle Donelan was saying, um, she was basically sort of uh, framing it as we're going to have an approach which will uh, uh, help businesses and citizens untangle themselves, as she put it, from... Uh, again, what she described as a barrier-based European GDPR. um, And the new laws in their eyes will be something which will be easier to understand and easier to comply with. Um, In very brief summary, I think there's some very interesting things in the proposed changes. Um, So there are some changes around um, legitimate interests. Uh, There are some changes around some of the risk assessments that um, controllers are supposed to consider. Um, there's some changes around uh, 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 records of processing activities, uh, also some changes around DPOs, data protection officers, um, and um, very interestingly, uh, um, some, some, some loosening up of the data transfer, international data transfer rules that businesses has to consider, um, which is particularly topical because of all the proposals coming out of the US, as well as some of these international uh, initiatives. Um, And I think even on some of the more granular levels, so on the slightly smaller levels, even if you think about some of the changes, which might not sound overly dramatic. So, for example, some changes um, to um, remove certain consent requirements for cookie use, for example, by way of an expanded range of exempted purposes, um, uh, that just on its own does seem to be running counter with recent heightened enforcement in Europe. Uh, so for example, the Kinele, uh fines and activity in the last year or two um, over enforcement of the um, e-privacy directive uh, regarding cookie use and some of those big fines that were being levied on uh, companies such as Google. So you have this very interesting thing going on right now, which is the UK wanting to be seen to be pro-business, low red tape, pushing itself into that kind of a position. Which is sort of sort of leaving it um, at, at odds to a degree with Europe in its efforts to try and free things up and get closer to the US. And of course, final comment I'll just make in summary is the point about adequacy is a really key point, which is obviously post Brexit, there was a real concern over what might happen with transfers between the UK and mainland Europe. And um, uh, the adequacy decision. Uh, take a little bit of time and people were a little bit nervous waiting uh, uh, for the eu to grant the uk adequacy status Uh, but when it did come it came with a few caveats because clearly some on the european side are watching the uk quite closely and there was a concern that the uk might indeed go off on a bit of a frolic which would in their eyes mean they weren't uh, um, they weren't indeed Uh, going along with this sort of the GDPR approach and the adequacy decision that was given for the UK obviously came with a sunset uh, review timescale to it, uh, which was unique, hadn't been done before. And so I think there is a genuine concern that depending on where the UK reforms end up, um, you know, query whether that might lead to a potential issue in terms of adequacy being removed. so I'll pause at that point, um, but I do think very interesting times with all these proposed changes.
0: Thanks, Rafi. Um, quite a few things to unpack there. I would say let's start with the, with the United States, which you have mentioned as well. Um, Gabriela, there have been uh, talks for some time about the US trying to put in place a data flow system that is alternative to, to the EU uh, data adequacy decision. Um, I'm of course, referring in particular to the uh, Global uh, Cross-Border Privacy Rules Forum. Uh, How is that initiative going? Uh, Do you think that it has managed to to gain momentum or has it fallen into obscurity, I would say?
2: Indeed, uh, the US Department of Commerce has been uh, um, revamping um, an, an older initiative, uh that was particularly um applicable in southeast asia in in apac uh in the actually in the apac um countries uh and that's uh, the um, um apac uh, cbpr system uh, cross border privacy um rules system and that has been in place already for many years and that has not been extremely successful if we are looking at um, how many uh, companies participate uh, in it. Now, in the past uh, year and a bit, the US Department of Commerce um, has uh, re, uh, started to rethink uh, that um, CBPR, um APAC CBPR system, and wanted to give it a global scope. Um, This means that it would uh, allow countries that are outside um, of the APAC system, and uh, that countries uh, such as the UK could join, but not only, the invitation is actually uh, open uh, to the entire world at this point. Um, The initiative is gaining momentum As we've seen very recently, the UK has joined the Global CBPR Forum. And uh, to my knowledge, it's the first country outside um, APEC that actually has joined. So there, there is something there. Now, the question is, will the Global CBPR Forum be more successful than the APEC CBPR system? Um we don't know yet. Uh, you know, the, the judge is still out there because um, we need to see um, how many companies will actually certify, how many uh, accountability agents will uh, want to become accountability agents uh, in order to uh, participate in the system uh, and help with the certification process. So that's, that's still out there, but there is definitely interest from um, countries outside of AIPAC to join this. And we, we shall see. Now, one thing that I want to um, make uh, very clear is that generally the idea of certification as a mechanism for transferring personal data uh, across border is not uh, new, right? It has been around for a while. And in fact, it has been recognized also by the GDPR. Like certification is one of the current um, possibilities to transfer personal data. It's one of the alternatives uh, when there is no adequacy in place. So um, the way I'm looking at this development is that, you know, it's an, another tool in the transfer toolbox. And it might be you know, very helpful for uh, many jurisdictions and many companies that transfer data uh, outside of the EU. However, when we are talking about transferring data uh, from the EU and under the GDPR, um, of course the systems would need to be compatible, right? Uh, so that's, that's uh, another uh, sort of assessment that needs to be done.
0: Thank you, Gabriella. And it's also quite interesting to to see these uh, very different approaches from, from the U.S. more open door approach and, and the youth, which is more uh, basically saying you, you either keep up with our standards or you don't qualify. Um, but I would like to go back to, to the U.K. Uh, with Rafi now, because uh, indeed, as you mentioned, the, the U.K. wants to move uh closer uh, with its data protection regime uh, to the US. In particular, it's, and the, the government said that uh, its approach is inspired by the Californian uh, data protection law. Um, but at the same time, the, the EU GDPR uh, has been the inspiration for several um, data protection laws worldwide, including in some US states. So, you know, turning the question around of, of what Gabriella raised, um, it really depends on on how successful this uh, alternative uh, standard for data protection is. But uh, doesn't that also mean that the UK risks to become uh, internationally isolated uh, in case things go south?
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a it's, it's a really good observation. It's a good point it's worth considering for a moment. I think. Um, the way I kind of look at it is if you see what effectively historically has been happening, and then we look at these recent developments, I think it's quite interesting. So, um, we had the original dot com boom period, and businesses um, were sort of embracing e commerce as a concept, the web as a concept, uh, you know, monetization of digital revenue and digital business the ability to interact with people all over the world, and suddenly you had this global marketplace. And one of the concerns which really drove a lot of the EU laws was indeed this perception that the US was a bit of a Wild West and that uh, there weren't any real comprehensive laws that applied. And that obviously drove various things. So we had the first data protection directive, we had the e-commerce directive, digital signatures directive, distance selling directive, and so on. And then if you fast forward a few years to more recent times, we obviously then had GDPR come along because again, there was this concern that a number of the very big Silicon Valley companies uh, and other, other US um, uh, digital uh, major corporates um, were you know, uh, being used by many citizens all over the world. And there was this concern that there wasn't enough specific up-to-date legislation. So we had GDPR. So Europe really has a history of wanting to take the lead and wanting to be quite prescriptive uh, um, in relation to laws that it thinks are missing, and I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing um, two things all at the same time, really, um, and they kind of they they they're not necessarily consistent. So you have GDPR, which since GDPR came into force, you've had a ripple effect, a genuine ripple effect around the world, and this also includes the US. So. Um, GDPR began to influence laws in various countries. So Brazil, for example, with its new data laws, um, various other countries as well have been uh, uh, leaning towards this GDPR model. And the US initially, uh, obviously the US does not have a, you know, uh, there's been various proposals spoken about and so on, but there isn't a current federal wide US equivalent of GDPR. So we had California come along with CCPA and California initially went with some degree, with some degree of influence from GDPR, but also quite a lot of differences. So the CCPA is quite different in a number of respects, even though there are some similarities, it is quite different from GDPR. And what was interesting is as the US was developing, additional states were obviously putting their proposals through. And if we just look at what's been happening in the last year or two in the States, you have a number of additional states now passing their own forms of privacy laws. So you have um, uh, Utah, for example, you have uh, Colorado, you have Virginia, you have Connecticut, um, and uh, lots of other proposals as well. And of course in Washington state, um, a number of tech companies up in Washington state, obviously it's an important state from that perspective. They had a number of their own proposals for their Privacy Act. And what I think is really interesting is the um, approach taken by the most recent new US laws so Connecticut, Utah, etc., that actually didn't directly model. Uh, they, they didn't model themselves on the CCPA California approach. What they actually did is they actually modeled themselves more closely on the original Washington Privacy Act proposals, which they themselves were modeled very closely on GDPR. So what's interesting is that those US states and those new US laws coming on stream are actually going more GDPR like, not less. Um, and not necessarily doing a copycat of California. So turning now to the UK, where's that put the UK? I think it's really interesting that we have the UK in this position now, which was very closely aligned to the GDPR, because obviously originally it wasn't the EU. Then you have Brexit. Then you have equivalence. really. You then obtain adequacy. And then we now have this, divergence, all or this, or this potential confusion being created with rules that will be different, um, and that will be leaning towards, you know, US, but in particular, maybe leaning towards more the California approach as to what's going on with these other US states. So from a business point of view, if you're a company, and I know this, because you know when we're advising clients, obviously, one of the first things they want to have, if possible, is pragmatic, sensible, common sense approaches to these things. And what they don't want is lots of different laws in different places. So I think, even though, even though, as I say, the UK government approach has been, this will be good for the UK economy, it's will be good for UK business, uh, because it's going to be cutting all of this red tape as they see it. I think there's a there's a genuine genuine concern about this divergence, and and as you say, I think there could be a risk in terms of leaving the UK in a strange way, more isolated. As a result of some of these initiatives, which it thinks, or some of the government spokespeople seem to be thinking, will increase its ability to be a global player. Um, so I do, I do, I do think, um, I do think it remains to be seen in a year or two if if the legislation passes, you know, where that will leave the UK. Um, and uh, and I think things like the um, uh, the CBPR initiatives and things of that nature definitely they have some potential. Again, like coming coming back to what companies want, what businesses want, is they want some degree of consistency. That's what we're hearing repeatedly. So I really, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out.
0: And indeed, uh, we'll be following that closely. Um, but I wanted to go back to to Gabriella now because um, in the GDPR there are uh, two coexisting narratives. Um, the first one is that the EU has set that the golden start art in terms of data protection worldwide. And the second one is that um, the GDPR uh, enforcement is going rather slowly. Um, I mean, we we see especially uh, uh, civil society groups uh, saying that um, uh, expectations are are yet to be fulfilled and and even regulators admit that it, it is still to reach its full potential. Um, So how are enforcement trends shaping the way the GDPR is perceived globally?
2: Thank you so much, Luca, for um, asking this. This is one of the topics that I've I've delved a lot into. And frankly, I would say everyone has a, a degree of being right in this debate. But um, let me point out to the fact that there are a number of very significant GDPR enforcement um, decisions out there. Um, so I think it's unfair to say that um, enforcement of the GDPR um, is very weak or um, you know, absent because it is not. Um, There has been a very slow start, that is true. Now, there's also a difference between many small cases and uh, fewer big cases, but we have, um, uh, from uh, each of those two categories, we have a lot of um, enforcement going on. Uh, Let me give you just one example. Um, Actually, today, when we registered this uh, podcast, um, my colleagues from the Future of Privacy Forum, Brussels office, uh, have launched a case law report that is looking at one of the new provisions of the GDPR, a more mystical provision, because it's the one that has a data protection by design and by default obligation. So in Article 25 uh, of the GDPR which is an obligation that was introduced with the GDPR. It was not part of the former directive. And they have identified uh, about 160 cases that specifically enforce Article 25, uh, finding uh, noncompliance and breaches of that provision, and have analyzed and summarized about 90 of them. And they have found some very meaningful um, enforcement of. A concept that's new, uh, right? Privacy by design, uh, if we want to call it uh, that way. Last year, we did a very similar exercise on a very important topic, automated decision making. Uh, and how the GDPR is uh, being applied to automated decision-making and in particular, how Article 22 of the GDPR has been um, applied in case law. And we've identified a myriad of cases that uh, look at some of the most complex processing operations that are taking place today, um, You know that involve algorithm, uh, algorithms, algorithmic decision-making Um, that are um, done by uh, gig economy uh, companies um, across Europe, for example, or facial recognition systems that are being proposed um, to monitor entrance and attendance in schools or to monitor supermarkets. Um, all of these cases have actually been subject to GDPR enforcement, and this is, you know, not to mention uh, some of the uh, most, uh, let's say, um, some of the cases that have gained most attention uh, from the public and from the media, like the cases against Meta uh, that involve uh, data transfers uh, or, or other um, issues. Uh, or or cases against Amazon um, as well. So in short, enforcement of the GDPR is actually happening. Now, there is also a a separate uh, debate on whether um, how it's happening is at its most efficient. And this has been a debate um, in uh, Brussels uh, for a couple of years now. Uh, this is also where uh, the civil society um, has a, a loud voice, I would say, uh, looking at the current governance system with the one-stop shop and whether uh, this is, uh, let's say, the most efficient of, of what could uh, be in the GDPR. Now that's, that's a different uh, story indeed.
0: Thanks, Gabriela. Um, going back to you, Rafi, uh, before you mention about the risk of the UK losing its EU data adequacy decision, just how concrete do you think this scenario is and, and what would be the implications for of, a, of an eventual loss of this uh, status?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's, um, uh, I'd kind of probably answer that in the round in, sen- in the sense of, I think there is so much going on right now, and obviously, there's. I would just also mention the uh, the sort of the boom in AI and uh, all of the under the spotlight attention that uh, anything AI related is going along. And again, just to mention that um, uh, one of the amendments in the DPDI too is to look at automated decision making and you know potential impact or relaxation in relation to AI. That's going to be one. Again, that's one small amendment that's proposed but i think it could i think it could have a, quite an interesting uh impact in terms of how closely the final law is looked at and whether those in the eu would think um that's not a minor change that's a big change or that's an important change we don't like that so again on the automated decision making just very briefly there's a there's a tweak proposed which basically says that there'll be a relaxation of the restriction um where you have a decision made um, without human involvement and the the language there is um, uh, the restriction will will only effectively be kicking in if it's a significant decision made without meaningful human involvement. And then there's some other wording in there related to um, how you can um, have to be informed by that and some other checks and balances. But I think some changes on legit interests and changes on cookies, some changes on profiling, changes on automated decision making and so on. I think some of those changes, even though each one of those changes on their own, might not be regarded as a huge change. And I know some of the UK government team that have worked on this quite hard, um, they've been quite careful to try and take you know, consultations from the UK ICO and from other stakeholders to try and make sure that the changes don't deviate too much from GDPR. So they believe and they feel fairly confident that it isn't such a big leap from GDPR that adequacy is going to be terminated but i do think if you actually look at the collective impact of some of these different elements there is a risk there so so i just kind of sum it that the, the one thing i would say in the big picture is i come back to that point we spoke about a little bit earlier on which is how does that sit with all the other things that are going on with the global cdpr with um the biden executive order and the um the framework um etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think from again coming back to you know what what with all this change, what should businesses be doing? Well, how, sh- how should businesses be looking at it? I think the best way to sum it up, I think I would say, um, if you're a business that has dealings with the UK, if you're a business that's global and you have dealings with the UK and the EU, um, uh, or indeed you're, you're a genuine multinational enterprise, um, you know, I th- I, th- I still think a good starting point is to look to update and revise all your policies, procedures, contracts, and so on with a mind for GDPR compliance, even if some other countries are becoming a bit more relaxed or they're having some uh, variation on that. That would still mean that you need to revise things for the UK, for example, if the law does indeed change. And that still means you need to be mindful of other laws, depending on where you may be. And obviously, if you're operating in the States, the state laws. But I do think, um, if I rephrase that, I don't think gdpr is going to go anywhere or go or disappear because i do think we've still got this global trend so i think the uk in deviating from gdpr to a degree um the more it does that i think it's going to be going out a little bit on a limb and businesses don't want that businesses are definitely saying they want consistency so if i had to sort of be a betting person i had to try to take a view on it i think the detail of what's being changed in the DPDI-2 and how that's finally going to be left in terms of what's on the statute book. When the EU come to look at that, I think the combined total impact of all those small changes, it'll be very interesting to see how the EU view that. And I think that will be the decision maker on whether there's a real push on the EU side to seriously consider removing adequacy. I think that's that's going to be, we can't judge that right now. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh,
0: and Gabriela, before you mention this uh, landmark case with uh, meta and uh, international data transfers, um, do you think this has the potential to change the, the tone of the discussion?
2: Frankly, I don't think it will... Um change the tone significantly. I mean, it is a very significant case, but it's not the first very significant case, right? It's just a case that has been going on for a very, very long time and that uh, will uh, soon have a resolution as far as we are aware of the timeline from the EDPB and the Irish DPC. So I wouldn't think that it will... um, significantly change the landscape because also I, I think that, you know, enforcement is there, I mean, enforcement uh, of the GDPR is out there. This will be, let's say, um, the latest um, big case and a case that um, has garnered uh, so much attention because it has been going on for a very long time.
1: Uh, my, my quick thoughts on the, the, the ripple effect on that case is quite interesting. In terms of, um, I totally agree with um, Gabriella that um, it's one of those. Um, but there are, but there are others. There have been other very major decisions, and and um, there's, there's there's a lot currently uh, in the pipeline in terms of other decisions. And I do think, um, in a way, I think some businesses um, who are hoping. To have the DPF come along as as a kind of rescue package, in a way, um, and they're hoping that the you know the EU will confirm adequacy for uh, the, the rebooted Privacy Shield. I think the note of caution, which is always there in the background, is again if you if you see any of the commentary from Max Schrems and some other commentators um, who obviously um, are watching it extremely closely, you know they are saying that you know um, even if we do have a DPF come along which is gonna be heavily relied on by say U- say, US companies, um, that in itself um, may well only last a year or two before we have another uh, court justice challenge and a possible shutdown again. So, so I do think um, there isn't gonna be one kind of single event that dramatically stabilizes the, uh, um, the landscape or indeed throws it up and down. I think it's gonna be a constantly evolving one and I think um, uh, yeah, that, that would be my, my, my sort of take on that particular that particular decision.
0: Gabriella, any concluding remarks on this?
2: Just two thoughts to um, wrap this up. Uh, the first one is that just as Rafi pointed out, um, the GDPR has had such an incredible um, effect around the world in terms of inspiring jurisdictions to adopt similar lo- laws. We are seeing laws being adopted um, as recently as uh, this month in Nigeria, for example, which is a very, very populous country, you know, more than 200 uh, million people that now have uh, data protection rights. Uh, Vietnam has uh, adopted uh, its decree uh, in the past month or so it's it's really happening um, all around the world so definitely uh, an important trend to uh, be mindful of. And the second thought is that I think we'll uh, have to think more and more often uh, about the intersection of AI and data protection law, automated decision making and data protection law and figure out how um, this law, is relevant, in fact, for um, some of the uses of uh, of this new technology and how it's being built.
1: Yeah, and sorry, just a very good points from Gabrielle. I'd at one point, just to mention also, um, is I totally echo the point on the AI. Um, we obviously saw, brought to light the potential tensions with GDPR compliance generally, um, with the Italian uh, Garante's action uh, with ChatGPT. Um, and obviously there's been some back and forth between open AI um, and the regulators, but there are other regulators looking at that as well. And I think there's no question that um, that's going to be another factor that, um, uh, I would say reinforces um, the need for businesses depending on what they're doing with their technology and what they're doing with their processing. Uh, and obviously AI is an obvious area uh, to consider how the GDPR uh, affects them or not um so again i think um going forward it's going to be yet another area where i think gdpr is going to become super topical
0: rafi azim khan is head of data privacy at Pillsbury law Gabriela zanfield fortuna is vice president for global privacy at the future of privacy forum thank you both that's all we got time for this week don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the U and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Avi Curie. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening.